European House Journal Issue at a Glance, Volume 39, Issue 26, Focus Issue on Intervention, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Thomas Lucia. Performance of Modern Stents in Stable and Acute Coronary Disease Since Grintzig's seminal first procedure in 1977, percutaneous coronary intervention, or PCI, has made impressive progress. Most importantly, the introduction of stents has markedly improved the acute and long-term results. The first stent implantations were performed in patients with dissection and acute occlusions, but their long-term follow-up also showed that restenosis rates were lower in those receiving a stent. A major breakthrough was the introduction of drug-eluting stents, which over time brought restenosis and stent thrombosis to an all-time low. With drug-eluting stents, delayed healing and endothelial dysfunction may occur, which favours neoatherosclerosis. Whether biodegradable polymers are advantageous is uncertain. In their article, Temporal Course of Vascular Healing and Neoatherosclerosis After Implantation of Durable or Biodegradable Polymer Drug-Eluting Stents, Davide Capodano and colleagues from the University of Catania in Italy compared in vivo vessel healing and neoatherosclerosis of current-generation biodegradable polymer or durable polymer drug-eluting stents using serial optical coherence tomography assessments. 90 patients with multivessel coronary artery disease were randomized one-to-one to biodegradable polymer everolimus-eluting stents or durable polymer zotarolimus-eluting stents. The maximum length of uncovered struts at three months was 10 plus or minus 8 millimeters in the biodegradable polymer everolimus-eluting stents group and 11 plus or minus 7 millimeters in the durable polymer zotarolimus-eluting stents which met non-inferiority criteria. At 18 months, the number of patients with neoatherosclerosis was low and similar between the two stent types. Thus, biodegradable polymer everolimus-eluting stents and durable polymer zotarolimus-eluting stents exhibit a similar healing response and a low incidence of neoatherosclerosis. These results are put into context in an editorial by Dean J. Keriakis from the Lindner Center for Research and Education in Cincinnati, Ohio, USA. Since their first use, numerous stent types have been developed with different structural characteristics, polymers, and drugs. The combo stent which combined cyrolimus and an ablumable bioabsorbable polymer with a novel endoluminal anti-CD34 positive antibody coating designed to capture endothelial progenitor cells and promote optimal vascular healing is a truly innovative product. Its performance in patients has been tested in Japan-United States of America harmonized assessment by randomized multicenter study of Orbis Nike's combo stent Japan-USA Harmony study, primary results of the pivotal registration study of combined endothelial progenitor cell capture and drug-eluting stent in patients with ischemic coronary disease and non-ST elevation acute coronary syndrome, by Mitchell Krukoff from the Duke University Medical Center in Durham, North Carolina, USA. 
572 coronary patients were randomized one-to-one to the combo or everolimus saluting stent. Target vessel failure occurred in 7.0% with the combo and 4.2% with the everolimus saluting stent. Quantitative coronary angiography late loss with combo was equivalent to everolimus saluting stents. OCT strut coverage at one year was superior with combo compared to the everolimus saluting stent. Thus, the combo stent demonstrated non-inferior one-year target vessel failure and late loss compared to everolimus saluting stents with superior strut-based tissue. These encouraging results are critically evaluated in an editorial by Takeshi Kimura from the Kyoto University Graduate School of Medicine in Japan. Preliminary studies suggest that direct stenting may reduce microvascular obstruction and improve clinical outcome. Thrombus aspiration may facilitate direct stenting. In their article, Clinical Impact of Direct Stenting and Interaction with Thrombus Aspiration in Patients with ST-Segment Elevation Myocardial Infarction Undergoing Percutaneous Coronary Intervention Thrombectomy Trialists Collaboration, Karim D. Mahmoud and colleagues from the Erasmus MC in Rotterdam, Netherlands, assessed this issue among ST-segment elevation myocardial infarction, or STEMI, patients undergoing PCI, of whom one-third underwent direct and two-thirds conventional stenting. Patients undergoing direct stenting required less contrast and had shorter fluoroscopy time. After propensity matching in 10,944 patients, no significant differences were seen between direct stenting and conventional stenting with respect to 30-day or 1-year cardiovascular death and stroke rates. Thus, clinical outcomes and myocardial reperfusion measures do not differ between direct and conventional stenting with no interaction with thrombus aspiration. These results are further evaluated in an editorial by Franz Josef Neumann from the Universitätsherzzentrum Freiburg in Bad Krötzingen, Germany. The clinical value of PCI for chronic total coronary occlusions is not established by randomized trials. In their article, A Randomized Multicenter Trial to Compare Revascularization with Optimal Medical Therapy for the Treatment of Chronic Total Coronary Occlusions, Gerald S. Werner and the Eurocto trial investigators compared PCI and optimal medical therapy on the health status of 396 patients with chronic total occlusion with 2 to 1 randomization using intention to treat analysis. At 12 months, a greater improvement of Seattle angina questionnaire subscales was noted with PCI as compared to optimal medical therapy for angina and quality of life, as was the case for physical limitation. Complete freedom from angina was more frequent with PCI than optimal medical therapy. However, at 12 months, major adverse cardiac events were comparable between the two groups. Thus, in patients with stable angina and a chronic total occlusion, PCI primarily leads to an improvement of health status compared to optimal medical therapy alone. These relevant findings are put into context in an editorial by Spencer B. King III from St. Joseph's Health System in Atlanta, Georgia, USA.
Coronary artery disease has many risk factors and causes, but one that has been neglected is addressed in a review entitled Fructose Metabolism, Cardiometabolic Risk and the Epidemic of Coronary Artery Disease by Peter Mirtschink and colleagues from the Universitätsklinikum Karl Gustav Karus in Dresden, Germany. Recently, increased attention has been given to the role of fructose as a driver of the cardiometabolic syndrome. The primary organs capable of metabolizing fructose include liver, small intestine, and kidneys, where metabolism is initiated by ketohexokinase isoform C. The authors highlight recent progress in understanding how fructose metabolism contributes to the development of major systemic pathologies that promote cardiometabolic and cardiovascular disease and discuss how this understanding is shaping preventative actions and therapeutic approaches. The editors hope that this issue of the European Hearts Journal will find the interest of its readers.